There we go. By nature, I'm a very introverted person. Uh, so I'm just a natural introvert. So, you know, this is, this is why it's difficult for me. Things like this. I'm just, I'm just going to be transparent with you. Because, you know, I'm sitting back there thinking, well, that's a hard act to follow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, okay, so... Uh, and, and, you know, and then I don't, you know, I don't know how any other pastors, uh, you know, deal with this, but it's like, then you're kind of second guessing. It's like, well, do I really want to, you know, is that really what I wanted to teach? Do I really want to preach that? Um, so uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and uh, let's start with a word of prayer. And, and uh, you know, I think that uh, if you will also pray and be praying as I preach that God will craft a word uh, that will speak to you today because I, I do have a desire to communicate some things from the Word of God, but also speak from the heart as well as from the head and do that in the context of um, we don't just have pastors here like we did last year when we met. And so we've got church members and other distinguished and esteemed guests. And uh, so I, you know, I want to try and say some things that kind of grab all of us and bring us in to this doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I thank you today, Lord, that we can come before you. We can ask your mercies upon us. We pray the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher, would be the one here who is actually speaking to our hearts. Lord, whatever else is said, as we, as we dip into your word, as we look into your word together, that, Lord, the Holy Spirit will speak to us personally. There are Ways that we need to move, we're not moving. There are directions we need to go, we're not going. There are certainly decisions to be made, things that, that should be changed, uh, that we want to be open to your Spirit's movement in us and through us to the lost. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. You know, I've discovered that a lot of people have a problem with the church, and it's almost like there are two opposite conversations that come to the same conclusion. So you have unsaved people, uh, who some of whom love Jesus, but uh, they do not love the church. And so for them, spirituality is real, but the church is irrelevant and then some saved people say that their particular ministry is better fulfilled outside of the local church. And you know, they've kind of been there, done that. They don't feel the need anymore. And there's no place, uh, you know, in their future for the church because uh, they don't view it as a safe place or whatever the reason may be. And, I, I, you know, I, uh, ironically, I suppose that it is true that there is no more dangerous place in the world than inside biblical fellowship. And at the same time, we desperately need each other, and we long for those things that we know how to do the least. And so this is one thing that people who believe in God and don't believe in God seem to agree on. They discount, and they set aside the church. But if you are in biblical fellowship, you are now tied as if you're members of the same body to someone else's choices. And so in this session, I want, uh, I want to ask you to do what you do every time you go to a movie. I want you to suspend 
disbelief. Suspend disbelief because we want to open up at more of a, in a sense, a doctrinal, uh, I guess we could say dispensational session on the Holy Spirit. Because I'm a introvert, I like to bottom line things, so let me just hit you with a thesis. I can delineate the Spirit's involvement with humanity in every dispensation. But the Holy Spirit today is only involved for the church. Why? Because He exists in this time for the glorification of Jesus. And I mean, it's really interesting because uh, the Father has a name, God, and the Son has a name, Jesus, but the Holy Spirit doesn't even get a name, just an adjective. And yet the real miracle that Jesus brings to us by his ascension is to connect us to the Holy Spirit, which is the only safe an effective way to connect us to each other as the body of Christ, Jesus being the one that the Holy Spirit wants to glorify. So, <coughs> so I cannot worship God without the Holy Spirit, and I cannot worship through the Spirit unless I am part of Christ's body, the church. And while the Holy Spirit is invisible and the church is singular, as the general assembly of the firstborn which are written in heaven. Uh, So the church is invisible as to its ideal concept, and yet the Holy Spirit exists in us to build visible churches as the body of Christ in any community through our assembly, through our assembling together. You'll notice in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12 says, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, okay, they're spiritual gifts because they are given by the Holy Spirit, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. So whatever you have experienced of the church or by the church or because of the church, that's the past of the church. And I want you to join me right now in Ephesians chapter 3, because, and this is our first point for study, because whether a Christian loves the church, is suspicious of the church, or has been wounded by the church, if you step into the Holy Spirit in the church, he will help you build up what the church should have been all along. So it doesn't matter your past with any particular church or any succession of churches, if you happen to be a serial member. I can show you the church's future dispensationally based on the relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit right now. And that is because Ephesians 3 is the church and the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit dispensationally connected and concerned as building up the body that Jesus was willing to die for. Join me in verse 9. Paul says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. So God revealed to Paul the mystery in verse 3 
which he wrote about before in places like Colossians 1, verses 23 to 28, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the mystery of Christ in Gentiles comprising one body in Christ with Jews, as you see in verse 6, and that was a mystery, verse 9, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So the important thing about this new mystery is how it shuts the door on whether God was going to turn right and enter the church age or turn to the left and go into the tribulation. I mean, he could have done either one until uh, Acts 11 or so, but this is good news. I mean, if the Jews had accepted Jesus as as all the prophecies predicted, and then the prophecies of Joel had actually been fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, or sometime before Acts chapter 7, well, then we go straight into the tribulation with no violation of any previously recorded scripture. You know, I've discovered there are occasions and places in the Bible where God holds his card so close to the vest that either Elijah is going to come back before the second coming of Christ, Christ, before the coming of Christ, or John the Baptist is going to do. And it depends upon the free will of the people that God made the promises to. So, so many of the mysteries have this providence of God aspect. But right now, Paul's not concerned that that you know, the Ephesian church, you know, think about all that necessarily. I mean, there is a providence of God aspect. Right now, he wants them to know the, minis- the mystery, and they can only know that mystery as they see the fellowship of it. Now, why? Why is that? Because the fellowship of this mystery is with a given intention. Verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That's your church. That's my church. That's the church where your membership is at. That is all the assemblies Jesus owns as his church put together. And there is a trinity in this passage. I don't know if you caught that or not. Okay, so showing the wisdom of God by the church is is a wisdom to be made known, obviously, to the church and to the churches. But it is also for all men to see with the intention that as the church and all men see it, It will even be known by the principalities and powers in all three heavens. So you've got the church, you've got all humanity, and then you've got the heavenly host. And the creation and formation of the church is this third spiritual race being demonstrated to the gentry of heaven because that divine body is going to spell judgment on the fallen sons of God. But exactly what divine agenda 
does this further, I wonder. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now having boldness and confidence to access God's extraterrestrial throne, that is nice, but it is not the necessary agenda. The agenda is not really clearly defined until you get down to verse 21, verses 20 and 21, but because we become integral to the agenda of furthering God's eternal purpose, then we have boldness and access with confidence. So in Ephesians 3, God dispenses grace to Paul to make public a previously hidden mystery. That mystery is not just that Jews and Gentiles are going to be of one body, or even that the church is is the bride and body of Christ. He gets to that in chapter 5. But you know, what I've discovered is people tend to overlook God's language. Uh, you know, and that's, that's why there's the multiplicity of Bible versions, because then you can never really pin down the certainty of the words of truth. And so we know that the, the, they don't listen to the language of creation. Romans 1, they don't listen to the language of the stars. Psalm 19, but God is in a, God is in a conversation with the lost, with the church, and with the host of heaven. So this is my second point for study, because people do not listen to Psalm 19. The church becomes the language of God to explain his wisdom. So according to Ephesians 3.10, God is speaking to eternity through the church. And the point to be made from this King James Bible doctrine is that it is for the propagation of this manifold wisdom that the church gets the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, look back up at verse 4. Whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul has the Spirit so he can speak this previously hidden mystery and revelation. And then, after speaking it, have a scribe put it on parchment and turn it into your scripture. So he prays also for us, down in verse 16, that the Father would grant you, according to the riches of his glory. I mean, I'm nothing. So it takes that much. I mean, it kind of takes the riches of the glory of God to enter into the equation to grant me to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So God speaking to eternity, using the English words of a King James Bible. And I, you know, and I don't mean to to throw shade on any other language or their Bibles. I mean, I, you know, so 
there's King James and there's Queen Valera. And, and okay, so, you know, if you have a Queen Valera, that's all right too, I guess. But I, so I'm not necessarily, I haven't, I haven't studied all those. I don't know, you know, which, which one is the best one. All I know, I'm just speaking from our perspective. And, and since we Americans can't really learn any other language, the, the language of heaven. And so, so the mouthpiece... So we got the language, but the mouthpiece for what God says is the Spirit-empowered church. It is us functioning. Spirit-filled is part of a Spirit-empowered body, and so it's according to God's eternal purpose that this manifold wisdom. I mean, this is wisdom on every side. I mean, God would have been God and God would have won if he would have just gone in one direction. No, this is God. This is breakout God. He is going in all directions. And that wisdom can only be had, though, in fellowship of the church because it has to be made known by the church. And that purpose which God had from eternity to eternity is to glorify himself through his son Jesus by his body, this church, as declared and defined in verses 20 and 21. Now, can you imagine any heavenly being looking back at God and saying, yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, God, I'm watching them, and I'm listening to you talk about them, and really? I mean, really? Your glory I see, and Jesus I know, but how can this church be part of that trinity? And it's true, the idea is completely absurd unless you acknowledge the Holy Spirit and the church so that together we give expression to God's wisdom, particularly the facets that were hidden until this dispensation. And when you flip that script, it means that by yourself, apart from spirit filling, and apart from church fellowship, you do not have and you cannot express the manifold wisdom of God, not even to yourself much less to the world and to the heavenly host. But now, in fellowship and in fullness, as broken as we are, as frail as we are, as dysfunctional as we may be, we become the miracle to humanity. I mean, I don't know how you view it, but this is the backstory for some of the story I want to I talk about today and some of, the, some of the commentary I want to put along because people listen to us because of the Spirit and the church. And the heavenly realm hears glory because of the Spirit and the church. And God uses us to explain to eternity... Hey, this is what I had in mind all along and forever. I just had not told you yet. I mean, look, here is the new sons of God. Here is what 
humans can look like in Christ. And here is how I am glorified by their function as Christ's body. So the wisdom of God cannot be understood if the church is not composed of members who are filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, who forgive each other because they've been forgiven, who love each other because they are loved by Jesus, the one who loves them and gave his life for them. And you know, so all I'm trying to do is is a weak follow-up to the session that, that Pastor Bartell just gave you. But, but if I can borrow the screen of your anointed imagination for a second, you know, one sheep cannot compare to a flock, and one fish cannot compare to a school, and one firefly cannot compare to an ocean of light in a swarm. Because then you become glorious and undeniable and irresistible. So I like how I look when I am with you at a conference. You like how you look when you walk with us. It does not diminish you or overshadow your uniqueness to be a part And in terms of a fellowship of churches, nothing of your autonomy is given up by your fellowship with us. But when when we meet around an open Bible, that is when people begin to see the extraordinary nature of what God made us as the church. And that's why the Spirit in the church, doctrinally, it is such an important topic People are trying to make sense of life. They are given meaningless, superficial cliches. And all I can say from having heard Sunday morning and Sunday night and the mornings here, you're not going to get that here. But they're given standardized psychological tests as answers for their deep pain. See, they're very practical aspects to the doctrine of the Spirit and the church because now, now, look at verse 12. Now, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. And this is another one of those places which confirms that all the modern Bible translators are liars. You know, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that's my life verse. That's just my life verse. Galatians 2, 20. Every man jack of them, even the new King James, says that you live by your faith in the Son of God, not by his faith. And they say that even though that goes contrary to what the Greek actually states. Because all the modern translators think you can't handle the truth. And really, it's because they don't understand the truth. They're not willing to correctly translate the truth. And so I was just curious. You know, even though I don't spend a lot of time with conspiracies, I was just wondering, do, do any of the other translations do the same thing right here in verse 12? I mean, are any of the modern Bible translators 
and translations in a conspiracy against the truth because they don't understand it, like they do at Galatians 2.20, where they do the same thing. Okay, ESV, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Huh. NIV, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, again, the New King James claims to be from the Textus Receptus, which one, who knows, they're not telling. Uh, but it says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And again, the modern English version, which also claims to be from the TR, says, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Well, no, baby Baba. My boldness, my confidence is because of his faith. My faith is often unfaithful. His faith never is. And I catch faithful faith from his faithfulness. It's not my faith in him. It is by the faith of him. Now be turning to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Keep your finger here in Ephesians 5 and so uh, Ephesians 3. So now I, I, I love these words, boldness and confidence, because my access to his spirit and its powerful expression is not subject to my frailties and my faults and, and my failures. I mean, you all are a scary crowd. But I come to God because of Christ's faith. And I have access to the Spirit by Christ's faith. And that overrules my fear. And you know, all I have to say as a pastor, and again, I'm just being transparent with you. Uh, I'll just echo the words of senior FBI agent Tobias Fornell in NCIS Season 4, Episode 2. Where he said, the way I figure it, anyone who doesn't want to quit this job ain't doing it right. I mean, that's all my faith's got. I, I, I'm just telling you, because I feel like I had to quit every Monday. Now, if you don't, then I'm happy for you, brother. And, but my faith is not in you. It's not in my comparison to you. It's not in my faith. It's not even in my faith in him. My faith is in his faith overruling for me. So if you don't think that this moment and this movement is bigger than you, then you're way too big. You think you are way too big, I'm just saying. We step into boldness and confidence by Jesus' faith. And part of that faith was to do what Paul says, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful. I mean, that's the faith of him. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He was the one who had the faith to count me faithful and enable me. But another part was Jesus' faithfulness, to take the second member of the Godhead and distribute him equally among every member of the body. 
you and me. The Holy Spirit, I mean, check this, equally and eternally distributed. And that was something that never happened until this dispensation. Turn to Romans chapter 15. And I can't say that it only happens in this dispensation. I mean, what I have to say is that it happens eternally starting with this dispensation. But I, I love coming together here because Christ's faithfulness is seen in our assembling and in our fellowship of churches, and that, in spite of anything else, brings hope. Romans 15, 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And you're not any more broken than I am, and you've not had any more struggles or any more pain than anyone else who overcame them by the faith of Jesus. There is as much rebel in me as there ever has been in you. But we assemble as a church and we fellowship as churches so that maybe you can see you have the same Holy Spirit we have and whatever good resides here can be in you. And whatever power you see here is available to you. So allow me in this session to take the doctrinal and make it eminently practical by transferring truth in a picture to you and me and to us. We style ourselves Living Faith Fellowship. Now what that means is, is seen on our website and other documents and you can check out living, you can check out lffellowship.com slash identity. And you get Dr. Bartlett's statement on biblical authority, and you get Pastor Bartell's delineation of our missions philosophy, and you get Sam Miles' iteration of our discipleship philosophy, and it's seen in our conferences and in our institutes and in, in any missions endeavors that we choose to undertake jointly. It is heard on our podcasts and read in our published works. And for reasons I am still not clear on, I mean, I don't know what it was. Either, either I was drunk or everybody else was drunk. I'm not sure which, but for some reason. I am president of the board of that entity. I don't even know what that means. Uh, because I know that we're not a governing board. We're just a facilitating board. We're a serving board. Uh, if, if being president means anything, though, then it means I am concerned that if God is doing something, we get with it. And if he's not, okay, then we can disband it. Verse 13 of Ephesians 3 says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now do you think I'm twisted if, if I say that I'm glad to see that the church 2,000 years ago was in danger of fainting? I mean, somehow that's just a left-handed encouragement to me. And, and the James gang helps us out here because they also translate that word 
as be weary. People who knew Jesus were getting worn out. They were losing heart in participating in what God himself was doing. And I don't know why that encourages me, but verse 14 Paul says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now Paul says, I was made a minister for the cause of building, verses 1 to 7, But I pray for the body. And while there is so much of importance there in verses 14 to 17 about the Spirit and the church, I want to cut across the field at that semicolon where we stopped. Verse 17, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love. What a ripoff! Turn to Matthew chapter 22. I mean, oh, he's saying all of these great things. And and then he says we cannot be filled, we cannot know the fullness unless we love each other. I mean, what kind of bait and switch is that? (laughs) Matthew 22, verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love. The Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Okay, could you just stop there? Jesus, can you not count? I mean, great teacher, terrible at math. Which is the great commandment? Both. Well, both what? Verse 39, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Because we cannot be filled and know the fullness to love God without this other relational connection. You know, so I'm just trying to piggyback off the good teaching that you got in the last session. Do you ever listen to any any of those TED Talks? You know, the uh, technology, education, and design talks, and maybe watch some of their videos. And, uh, okay, I watched one time, one, one time. Do you know that you have more bacteria in your body than you have blood? So I don't know what you're full of, but it's not blood. <laughs> but because of that bacteria in you and that bacteria in me, and because that bacteria have a life of their own, they actually interconnect before you and I ever touch. I mean, that's crazy. See, I think this is scarier than Branch Covidians. I mean, the Branch Covidian thing, that, that's scary enough, but even our bacteria recognize the connection that's supposed to exist between people in quantum mechanics. They have a concept called entanglement, and entanglement is a physical phenomenon where a group of subatomic particles exist in such a way that the state of any single given particle cannot be described apart from the others. And that is even when the particles are separated by long distance. So nothing physical is connecting them, and yet they are connected. 
and changing the wave function of the original quantum state of any one of them changes the state of them all. Now, Einstein called that spooky action at a distance. <laughs> so even the universe recognizes the, the spiritual truths that were given here. Okay, okay, look, maybe uh, Einstein didn't get you, but uh, uh, look, some of you traveled in from out of town. Isn't it odd that you can Zoom call or FaceTime someone that you love and you can feel the connection? And, and if you're communicating with someone you love, then it doesn't matter that you're in Ohio and they're in Michigan or Missouri or Georgia. I mean, just, just make an eye contact through technology. And, and, and you're not face-to-face, -face, but you're phone-to-phone. -phone. And you're phone-to-phone, -phone and you're looking at your phone all romantically with deep affection. <laughs> it's like you're in love with your phone because she's not here. Well, wait, her essence is being translated into energy inside of her phone, and, and then it travels invisibly through the air, and yet it does not get lost, and the energy is transformed into her essence on your phone. So here's what I think. All technology exists to prove the Bible. I think that's why the devil messes with electronics so much. Verse 16, Ephesians 3 says that your inner man is strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit so that, in verse 17, Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father, is then transferred invisibly into your heart so that ye, verse 18, may be able. And you know, I think a lot of the problem of the church is that we have been looking to the wrong source for our abilities. And the only enabler who grants us sufficient strength is the Holy Spirit. So, as we have on your handout, the Holy Spirit is our means of power, including the power to love. And the Holy Spirit is the means of holiness, even including us as the church. But in love, we have to be both rooted and grounded. I think sometimes it's hard for us to just believe the simple words of a King James Bible. That while the power does flow through the socket, it only comes with a ground wire of love. So hard to believe. I mean, so hard to believe. We keep looking for other sources of power. We don't think it could be that. We don't think it could be actually what the Bible says. But that's not our only failure of faith. Because this divine ability is only designed to flow, verse 18 says, as you are made to comprehend with all saints. And we are not saints because we are perfect. We are saints because of our participation in this ministry, which includes our involvement in the mission, which embraces our activity in ministry, which encompasses a cosmic dimension, which requires a spiritual covering. 
My dad was old school when it came to discipline. So there was none of this, I'm going to explain to you why I'm going to beat you. <laughs> and there was, you know, nothing of the awkward after moment of comfort or encouragement. I mean, he just assumed you knew why you deserved what you were getting. So, uh, frankly, some of my earliest memories, uh, you know, and I didn't, I'm not saying I had it bad. I didn't have it bad. It's, you know, it's, I don't have PTSD. This isn't triggering anything. But some of my earliest memories at four or five years of age are him with a belt in his hand. And I remember one time, and I was very young, he took off his belt, he was going to whip me, and so he made me bend over on the, on the top of the couch cushion, because I was just that old that I could keep my feet on the floor and lay over the seat cushion. And I remember putting my face in my hands and waiting for the pain, but it, it never came. And I'm sure looking back on it that, you know, he was drunk at the time because my mother intervened. And she inserted herself in between him and me. When Paul calls you saint, he is saying you are covered by the Holy Spirit because he is your comforter. And again, we just ignore the plain language of the King James Bible. But when you get sick and you have a fever... What does your mother, what does your wife bring to you? She puts over you a comforter. That makes you feel better. And you know, you're called holy because that adjective belongs to him, not because it belongs to you. But it belongs to him being given to you so that, verse 18, you can comprehend with all saints. You know, I knew I was teaching here today, and y'all are sophisticated, cultivated, educated crowd out here. I mean, much more than we are in the Midwest. And so, I, uh, you know, you are polite and viable with a King James wide-margin Bible. And so I knew I couldn't be no lazy preacher. I'd have to go home and do my homework. So I performed an exegetical investigation of that word comprehend. And you know, I discovered that the James gang translated it apprehend. To attain and obtain, to come upon and find, to perceive and overtake. And this comprehension comes only in concert with the people who make up Christ's body. This is a connected comprehension. So why does he say this can only be comprehended with all the saints? Well, I think for one thing, it's because he knows us, and he's working his way up to such an amazing promise. He knows that we will hear it, and we will want to make it individualistic, unentangled, stovepiped, just for me. Paul knows we will want to say, I can receive the benefit Paul, of what you are praying for apart from the Spirit in the church. So the reason biblical authority is not working for you is because you're seeing it through an egotistical, narcissistic, self-oriented lens, an unentangled lens, contrary to the pattern of the universe. 
and the goal for Christ's body in love. Because, you know, and I, how can I fault you? We all think like good Baptist preachers and Baptists. We think the Bible is all about me. When at least this part is about we. So we think it's about my salvation. No, no, baby Baba, it's about his kingdom. So much so, there are things you cannot comprehend by your study alone. And I know you, you know, you wake up every morning, you go to Starbucks early, you get your coffee or latte or whatever, and you sit down and use their Wi-Fi and, you know, God's blessing you with things maybe nobody else has ever seen in the history of the world. (laughs) But what this passage actually tells me is your study has to be tied to service and the fulfilling of this sacred calling. And that is only done as a member of Christ's body. And that's why any one of us may use parachurch ministry if it helps us, but we do not exist to help parachurch ministries. I'm just saying. So you cannot have the Holy Spirit benefit unless you are filled and functioning because this is the dispensation of the Spirit in the church. So what is going deeper? It's going together. It is moving as a body. It is not just a believer trying to do good and particularly not trying to do good through parachurch organizations. And maybe not even just as one church trying to reach your community. Because if our philosophy of missions means anything, it means that we have to exist as a fellowship of like-minded churches. I mean, praise God if you have a church as big as Antioch and you can send out Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark on your own. But the average church in America is only 60 to 80 people. And if we do not band together to support the people who are called and sent by their local church, I think shame on us. Paul says, I'm praying that you will be strengthened with might by his spirit. And while he is the power, you need a ground, you need a ground wire in love. And he gives to the saints in the church, because there is one thing you need to perceive and apprehend, and one thing you need to be aware of and feel, and sure that you understand. So first, verse 18, comprehend in concert with all other saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. So first, you need to comprehend the cosmic dimension of your calling. And you're being called out, and our being called together. You need to comprehend the cosmic dimension. I mean, we don't preach on this much, but look, look how much Paul is talking about this. We are only saints because we are set apart to do this. So Paul lives in entire, his entire Christian life on this planet with a cosmic orientation. 
And he's desperately trying to impart that and even implant that in you today. Comprehend and apprehend one thing. Then, verse 19, feel and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. What kind of conundrum is that? But second, you need to completely understand the love of Christ in spite of the fact it excels knowledge, which is a James Gang synonym for passeth. See, the world is messed up. And the solution has to emanate from us. The world says they don't believe in God. And yet they say they believe in love. Oh, really? You don't believe in God, God's hurt you, but you believe in love. Now name for me one thing that ever happened to you that you can prove God did it, that was bad. But then list for me all the people you loved and all the people who loved you, and yet they wounded your soul with pain. See, most country music artists can't even find love, but they write about it all the time. Would Taylor Swift, some of you millennials tell me, you answer me, would Taylor Swift have anything to sing about if she did not hate somebody she used to love? (laughs) Or John Mayer, or that Arabic prophet, Sheikh Spear. See, something keeps us hoping against hope that what hurt us in the past was not love, and so we just keep looking for it. But the universe does not even know love apart from Christ. And you cannot just superficially touch that love. Verse 17 says, you have to set down roots which dig deep over time. See, I'm not sure that that's a metaphor. I think that is a spiritual, literal expression. You have to lay a settled foundation in love. That's the James Gang synonym for grounded. Lay a settled foundation in the truth Pastor Bartell just preached and laid out to us. And this promise that you can comprehend the cosmic dimension of your life and and know the surpassing love of Christ is a love which cannot be experienced in mere words. It is only in the context of the Spirit and the church. And if you choose to reject this King James Bible doctrine, you lose. What is the greatest command? Read the Bible every day? No. Love. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with faith, hope, and love. So this is one measure of your church as the body of Christ. And it even brings completion to the intended purpose, which is, which is so complete that it finally, finally in verse 19, it brings a period I mean, up to this point in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing as if periods were made in China and stranded on container ships outside the port of L.A. (laughs) Verse 19, that he might be filled with all the fullness of God, full stop. Which is why the only premise 
that will enable God to fulfill, verse 20, the promise that God wants you to experience and express his fullness, as much of a mystery as that is, you got to fulfill the premise to get the promise. And these two things are the only way you can be filled that full. What two things? Comprehending the cosmic dimension gives you the complete mission, and understanding the love of Christ brings you the motivation. How can you possibly get filled with the fullness of God unless it is done by the Holy Spirit using the Scriptures just like Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16 say? Because then you get to live in the fullness of who God is. And while your personal salvation is essential, the fullness of God is critical. And it cannot be had without the Spirit in the church. So this is our third point for study. Fullness comes when you let the Holy Spirit make the about me the about we. Because the fullness of Ephesians 3.19, completely in context, is talking about the church and the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit brings not halfness, but fullness. Hello, somebody. So God's intention for the church is to express God's wisdom and do it in three dimensions that we saw here. To the lost, to the saved, and to the supernatural. And in this dispensation, God is recording the history of us with Him. Because in this dispensation, the fullness of God is expressed when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now turn to Ephesians 5. We'll come back to Ephesians 3. Don't lose that, but Ephesians 5. So I'm going to say this is kind of like uh, baptism versus filling. They're, they are complete opposites, and yet they are in like the bacteria between you and me, which you are full of. Uh, they are inextricably connected. Even when Paul talks about you being baptized by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he also says you have been made to drink. So I'm baptized in the Spirit and immersed on the outside of my spirit between my flesh and my soul. Remember your doodle from last night? Remember the doodle that Sam had you doodle? Okay. So, so I am baptized in, 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 in the Spirit, but I'm also commanded, let the Spirit fill me on the inside with the one that I was baptized in and with when I got saved. Okay, wait, because this is King James Bible doctrine for this dispensation. Look at Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, just a few things I would note. It's clearly a replacement process. It's a command. It is in the plural. In other words, it is a we thing, not a me thing, because the ye is picked up from the preceding verse. It's passive aggressive, because it'll happen if you just yield to him. It's present tense, so there's one baptism, but constant filling. And it happens as you drink the water. So the only comparison, uh, really, I think here between wine and spirit filling is you drink both of them, uh, except, you know, f for that, 
I think the two are kind of contrasted because here's our fourth point for study. Getting drunk sends you to extremes. But being spirit-filled brings you balance. That's why you're at peace. And there's faith, hope, and love. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is temperance. Now, Webster defined temperance in 1828 as moderation, particularly habitual moderation, moderation of passion. So you either drink the alcohol into your bloodstream or you allow the Holy Ghost to be poured into your life. And this is a prescription that is prescribed, take as necessary. Because it's constant, take as necessary. If you, if you took it, took some four hours ago and you need it again, or one hour later you need it, take it as necessary. Now turn to Colossians chapter 2. I'm filled with the Spirit so that we together can display everything God is full of. See, you think going deeper going someplace with coffee to get in the Word and just, just, just you and God and you get something out of the Word. And, and, and that's good. It's like getting saved. That's individualistic. That you, you, gotta, you have to start with that. There has to be that. But this is such a difficult mystery to explain that Paul explains it twice. Colossians 2, verse 2, that their hearts might be comforted. There's that, that key word again. Being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 11, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Not your faith in it, but the faith of that operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And by it, by your faith in his operation, you can experience and expose the fullness of God himself. Because Christ's presence in us by the Holy Spirit becomes the presence by which we are all connected together. Individually, we can be explained away. Any, any given one of us can be explained away. But together, we become the key to God's eternal purpose. Back in Ephesians 3, watch verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God's original purpose was from eternity to eternity, and the mystery is how he was always about glorifying himself by his son Jesus through his body, the church. That church body is not Jew or Gentile. It is a new creature, a new life form. And that manifestation is the only way 
that God will be seen in the future as the body of Christ and as the sons of God. So in eternity, humanity is still Jews, Gentiles, and the church. But only the church is the key, explaining to humanity and the heavenly host what God was after all along. So, you'll notice on your handout, together we express God's wisdom. Together we experience God's fullness. Together we explain God's plan. I mean, just try to apply verse 20 by misreading it with the me. It does not say he will do above all I ask or think according to the power that works in me. And yet that is the way you try to live it contrary to King James Bible doctrine. When we go contrary to King James Bible doctrine, then we trample on everybody else's dream just trying to make our dream come true. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, we get in this mode, and I, I see it with people today. We think everybody else is responsible to make our dream come true. No, there has to be a we ask. There has to be a we think. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And this is my fifth point for study. The Holy Spirit's glorifying of Christ comes through the church, which means spirit filling, spirit fruiting, and spirit gifting are all to profit with all. The James gang synonymizes that for us as being better for or bringing together because with all is a combination of with and all. So manifesting the Spirit profits all and profits you with it at the same time. But it only profits you as it is profiting all. So it is expedient, it is good, it is profitable for part and for every member. Every part, every member. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Have you ever had somebody ask you, who would you like to meet in history outside of Jesus? I mean, I would love to have lunch with Charles Spurgeon and talk about preaching. I mean, just let me, let me get into your process. And I'd love to take dinner with, with one or all. I would buy dinner for all of the King James Bible translators just to talk manuscript evidence. You know, what was your sense of what God was doing? And I'd love to have a moment under the tree with Cranmer or Polycarp and, and talk about martyrdom. I mean, I know it was hard for you. you. You faltered on the stand. But what gave you the courage to finally run toward the stake and put your hand into the fire first? Ephesians 1 verse 15 says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what the exceeding greatness of his power 
power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, which is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What if your greatest dream above what you could ask or think, was supposed to be about what we could do together through the Spirit. Because the church and the Holy Spirit is writing the declaration of God, a declaration of wisdom to be seen by the saved, to the lost, and by supernatural beings. And God gave Christ to be the head over his body, the church, in order to fill, for us to fill all things from the immense abyss called the deep all the way up to the very throne of God and fill it with redeemed and glorified people. So this, this is the part... This is, this is the moment where I'm going to break away for just a second. Because I don't know. I don't know what to make of things. And uh, I'll just tell you that. But decades ago, I purchased a small book written by Dr. Billy Bartlett entitled um, a, a History of Baptist Separatism. Somebody said I looked the, like the guy in the middle. Uh, which was uh, W.B. Riley. Now, I think that looks more like, uh, you know, um, W.C. Fields, but, uh, but, but anyhow, uh, you know, so these are three kind of main Baptist leaders, and he talks, he, he starts at the beginning, and he talks about how the Northern and Southern Baptist conventions split whenever these three guys, Norris, Riley, and Shields, came out to form the Baptist Bible Union. And then when the Baptist Bible Union disfellowshipped Norris because, you know, he shot some guy in his office, uh, uh, well, then Norris founded the World Baptist Fellowship, and then when Beecham Vick and others came out of the World Baptist Fellowship, they formed the Baptist Bible Fellowship, and the question Dr. Bartlett was asking 22 years later was, have we yet solved the problem of Baptist come-outism? I mean, he, he, sa- he says of what he calls Baptist come-outism, that it consists in an inherent propensity to schism. He says this movement, known as, in Baptist jargon as separatism, and these movements have been characterized by splits, turmoil, controversy, and their histories are replete with schismatic revolts and disruption. He states that schismatic tendency is outwardly manifested in the area of leadership. I mean, it's possible to exemplify the disruptive tendencies that seemingly inhere in Baptist come out is outest movements by tracing their rise and fall. And the conclusion of his book basically comes down to this. Finally, he says, it may be possible 
to examine a recent experiment, the Baptist Bible Fellowship, and make a preliminary judgment about the possibility of changing the modus operandi of, of such a group and thereby arresting its propensity to disrupt. And you know what they did as, as long as Dr. Vick was alive? And, you know, and after Dr. Vick was gone, they didn't split, but because they gave up biblical authority, they dribbled away. And you know what I think about the Living Faith Fellowship, since, since I don't exactly know what to make of it? I mean, it, it's either a time, a place, an opportunity, and God's in it, or I don't know what to make of it. But I think that we are at that moment for all of us to decide, are we going to make anything of what God has done and is doing? And are we going to let God, what God is doing, make anything of us? Paul said the churches of Christ saluted the Romans, so it sounds like they were in fellowship. And while in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses the church of God in Corinth, that must have been in a generic sense because in chapter 14, verse 34, he talks about its, about its churches. And Paul was famous for taking up one offering from churches in fellowship. And Paul gave orders to the churches of Galatia. And I'm just telling you what the words say. The churches of Macedonia seem to hang together. The churches sent messengers. Not a church, the churches. Because if it's just you and God, or if it's even just you and your church and God then you are dotting the I, but you are not writing the letter. Otherwise, I don't know what we just read in Ephesians 3. I mean, you're putting a period, but you haven't yet written the, uh, wrote the sentence. I mean, you put a question mark there, but nobody knows what you're trying to answer. I am overwhelmed by the wonder that people have when they look at us. And they say, how are you KJVO, and yet you're so open? You can't be King James only, yet that must stand for King James Open. <laughs> By which I know they mean that we are not separatists in other matters. I mean, how can you make biblical authority and collaborating in education and missions the main thing and, and not lose people? That'd be their question. How can you not lose people to all the other issues that generate our systemic come-outism? How can you be Baptist and not have that attitude of, bad attitude of insecurity? You know, I could never have thought or asked for what we have here prior to 2013. But if we want our movement to amount to anything going forward, then our biblical independent Baptist churches have to be this. They have to be supernatural, unexplainable, in love with each other, whatever else, because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that is the Holy Spirit and the church. And as to other Baptist come out as groups, they're all living in the past. Their reasons for coming out other than biblical authority are past issues which resulted in the death of their movements. Some of which were founded by truly great men and some of which had leaders who were kind of ungodly men. 
But all their descendants are known for is judgment and condemnation. They are known as a small group of insular people who are arrogant and self-righteous. And when they put other issues above the ultimate issue of biblical authority and the Holy Spirit in the church, then they are not demonstrating the wisdom of God. They're making a fool of God in front of others. How can they do that in love? How can they do that in spirit-filling? So it's time we stopped lying about God and got back to King James Bible doctrine and just told the truth. So our final point for study is this. Fundamentalism fails when it becomes a mechanism by which some can exclude others that they're not loving. I mean, we cut out people who embarrass us. I mean, we just tend to do this on a personal level. Sometimes churches do this as well, but certainly on a personal level. We cut cut out people less instructed than us and people we just don't want. And in those things, my brethren, we taint Jesus' reputation and we put the lie to the profession that what we say is really the main thing, is, is the main thing with us. But the future of the Spirit in the church is we're going to look just like Jesus and let our group of independent fundamental Baptists be known for evangelistic, compassionate, filled with the Spirit, displaying all the fullness of God to ourselves, to the lost, and to the supernatural. We don't need to separate from dysfunction. We need to overwhelm it with biblical function. We need to be like an army of fireflies bringing light to the night, bringing hope as well as beauty. I want people to be compelled by us to re-examine the party line about their Bible. I want us to become a fellowship of churches that other people want to step into for all the right reasons. I want us to be the ones that set the legacy for the future generations to come, which solves the sin of Baptist come-outism in favor of everything the Spirit does through the church. So, you know, I, I'm the most introverted person in the world, and yet I have this tendency, I know, you know, it's, it's my own flaw, I understand it. You know, I... I, I you know, I sat back there, and, and Jeff is so good, and Troy was so good, and Sam's so good, and, you know, then I'm like second-guessing everything I, I've thought that I might want to talk about, and, you know, I, I, I'll say, you know, look, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go there. We're not going to go there with that, and then I get up, and I always say, you know, things that are just off script, and like, well, why, you know, why did I even say that? Couldn't I just kind of stick to the Bible? Do we have to really apply the Bible? I mean, can't we just, can't we just you know, read it and uh, not have to do all these other things? And uh, so, I, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. It's somewhat of an apology. On the other hand, um, for whatever reason, I was asked to speak and to take up, take up the topic of the Holy Spirit and try and do it in a certain way and uh, yet I have a role. I have a role that I didn't ask for because I certainly did not want 
And I, again, I, I, I don't know that it means anything. And I'll certainly say that if our fellowship or if our group doesn't mean anything to God, then it doesn't mean anything, shouldn't mean any, doesn't need to mean anything to us unless it means anything to God. But I have not been able to get away from, as I examine the topic of the Holy Spirit, I have not been able to get away from the idea that it means something to God. That God's doing something if we let him. That yes, he plays his cards close to his vest. And there is a providential aspect to many of the mysteries. And yes, he could have gone left or right. And they could have gone right into the tribulation. Or this mystery of the church begins to be unveiled and it explains everything from beginning to end. And, you know, all I, all I know is it seems like we've come to a time, to a place, to a moment I just, I just don't want to miss it. I don't want to be on the back end of it. If it's there and God's doing something, just because I'm shy, I don't want anybody else to miss it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I just want you to know life. I want you to know that you matter to God. I want you to know there's a God who sees you and loves you. I want you to know he sent his son to give himself for your sins on the cross. And I want you to know that the beautiful thing is when one person finds grace and forgiveness and healing and hope, then others are drawn to that. And that as we let God do that through us as churches and as the church, that is what changes everything. Father, I thank you again for uh, your mercies to us. I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for a passage that is just like your love. <laughs> we're supposed to know it, and yet it's past knowing. I mean, we're supposed to comprehend it, and yet it's incomprehensible. And so, Lord, this whole chapter, this really this whole topic for the whole conference, but I think particularly... What I've tried to draw out today is, is just something that's incomprehensible, and yet we have, to, we have to acknowledge this. We have to know what God is doing in our midst so we can yield to it, submit to it, and follow it. We certainly don't need to be the leaders of it. We don't need to be anything but submitted in it. We need to lead by going lower. May all of us do that in all of our relationships, in all of our roles and arenas. Let us, let us be Christ-like. Let's do what Christ did. Let us lead by going lower and serving one another. And even though it's incomprehensible to us how that love will make the difference, you've said that it will. And God, it's not our faith in it that's going to bring it to pass. It is your faith in working that through us. So Lord, let us obey you and just relish the time that we can have together tonight and tomorrow as well. For we ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.